lot of big-name NCAA hockey stars have inked NHL deals, and a former NCAA legend between the pipes has agreed to a long-term extension with an NHL team. Sadly, the team in question he signed with is getting destroyed by the pandemic. Episode 263 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, We are going to be fully loaded with NCAA content in a little bit, but uh, first, Brett, we're going to a scary situation uh, in Vancouver where the Canucks are getting absolutely rammed by the pandemic right now. Yeah, we have a common theme here uh, this week where we're either talking about the Canucks or we're talking about college players. Um, And Thatcher Demko, which is the main guy we're going to talk about, um, he was a really good college player too. So so that's, um, I guess that's the uh, connecting light together there. Um, Anyways, we have here, um, so yeah, some, a bit of kind of like scary news right now. Um, where uh, more than 20 players and coaches from the Vancouver Canucks have all tested positive. It's believed that this is like the Brazilian variant of COVID. Um, That includes vomiting, cramping, and dehydration. Family members are getting it, according to Darren Drager. It's a scary situation. Um, It's even to the point where some players um, can't even get out of their bed. It's so bad for them. Um, And... You know, I think this is like the worst case scenario for um, for professional sports. Um, I mean, I guess the wor- the really worst case scenario is if a player dies from it, which I guess is still possible. But um, yeah, this is a very scary situation where like this is almost makes me feel like like the NHL should just or like you know the Canucks should just opt out of the season like they you know and then <laughs> I don't know how they would deal with the Canadian division for the rest of the time but it's, it's, it seems like they have like you know some things are just bigger than sports and this is one of those times because um, like I don't see why they should even finish the rest of their games it's not like I guess they have somewhat of a shot at making the playoffs but um, I don't think they um, they should go on uh, they should just try to focus on their health and and, and and work on that. But, yeah, definitely a very scary situation, and hopefully it all works out eventually. But, um, yeah, it's very, very scary. Yeah, it's, uh, so to, to put into perspective of how scary it's been, um, it started when word got out that Adam Godet had tested right. positive, and we didn't know that the Brazilian variant was, was present here, and, for, for, for those of you wondering how bad the Brazilian variant is, in Brazil, this past week alone, 66,000 cases per day over the past week. So this thing can spread pretty quickly, and British Columbia and Canada in particular has become a hotspot for uh, the Brazilian variant. So it starts with Adam Godet. He appears on COVID protocol, let's be clear. Appears on COVID protocol doesn't mean he has COVID. Right. But it's enough where, okay, we need to keep this guy away from the team. Please don't go anywhere near him. 
and yeah, just just stay away from the team un, until uh, you stop showing uh, symptoms and you get tested and whatnot. So he appears on the list first. Travis Hamanick, who opted out of the playoffs to avoid getting sick and protect his family, unfortunately, he appears on the COVID protocol list. Then, Braden Holtby pops on it, as does Alex Edler, Quinn Hughes, Zach McEwen, and Antoine Roussel. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players. Then, more players pop up. Travis Boyd, Thatcher Demko, Chase Hourluck, Bo Horvat, Tyler Mott, Tyler Myers, Brandon Sutter. So that is 14 players right there. And now, according to Darren Drager, it's combined players and coaches around 20, maybe more than that. And family members are starting to get it too. So in fact, I believe I heard from Farline Lodge of TSN that in some cases, team medical staff may have gone to the homes of players to administer IV treatments. Yeah, I saw that too. On top of... um, players not getting out of bed like it's it's that severe for for those cases so yeah like this is the definition of a worst case scenario that we never thought we'd see and we'd hope we never see but it, it could be playing out right in front of our eyes and i just hope for the sake of the canucks that everyone's okay yeah. um and we we don't even know how it's going to look in five to seven days when scheduling is determined there have already been four games postponed it wouldn't shock me if there's like two full weeks of action, maybe three full weeks of action they have to make up for if they even get their season back on the road again. At the moment that we're speaking, they have 35 points, which is six points back of Montreal for fourth place in the division, the fourth and final playoff spot in the division. And they're tied with Calgary as well. So there's still a fair bit uh, back of, of Montreal at the moment. And they do have uh, some games in hand as well. Um, and, Oddly enough, they actually played Montreal before Montreal's um, before Montreal's season was postponed due to COVID. So I don't know, maybe that's where it started, or if they got it from Vancouver. How, however, it started, um, it's it's obviously spread pretty quickly. They had uh, practice on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, and the power of hindsight, you wonder maybe they shouldn't have done that. Right. But um, there's there's a lot of 2020 hindsight kind of stuff that you can easily look back on um, later and say, well, probably should have played that better. But the, the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. They, they have COVID it's, it's gotten pretty bad and we're, we're, we're looking at probably the worst case we've seen in all of hockey, which is, which is, which is interesting because I thought if any team would have been hit like this, it would be in America because of how, that uh, virus has spread throughout the past year uh, since the pandemic has uh, begun. And and Canada, like, it's obviously spread pretty bad. Ontario here, we're in lockdown again. This is the third time it's happened. But it's it's nothing compared to the U.S. And yet a Canadian team, uh, the second one so far to get hit, is the hardest affected. And, um, yeah, I, I, I I honestly don't know of... Brett, and I'm sure a lot of fans don't know if if their season can be saved. If it is, just yeah. best to take them out of the season because there are things bigger than hockey. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I just said, but yes, uh, I agree. I, I 
I think at this point, like, I mean, it would be one thing if this if the Canucks were in a playoff spot or something like that, but, um, you know, it, that's not the case here. Um, of course, it would be unfortunate for even players who ha- haven't had it, like guys like Brock Besser or Bill Horvat, but, but I think, like, it would be understandable. Um, I And also not to mention the fact that, like, Elias Pettersson isn't even you know, healthy mm-hmm. yet so that he's their best player and all that stuff. And so both of their goalies yeah. too. Yeah, both their the goalies protocol. are on the protocol. So um so yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like what like why even bother? Um especially since like half the coaches, half the players are are on COVID and if it's as bad as it um it is reported then yeah I I, I don't see how they can finish um the season. I mean, I think there was talk that they were going to extend the um, extend the season like for a couple of weeks just to make up for all the Canucks games that they lost. But but yeah, at this point, I feel like just because like Montreal would have to play Canucks, you know, I guess all these six teams would have to play the Canucks a certain amount of times um, to make it work, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is, uh, it is a crazy situation and it's, it's interesting too, because as you mentioned before, it's like, it's, it does seem like, you know, for this whole season, it felt like, um, you know, all the U S teams were battling with COVID and like Canada just kept on rolling and rolling. Um, and not, and this is like, it's just surprising that the a Canadian team has, had the worst case of it. Um, like, I know the, the Devils had their uh, share at the beginning of the season. Same with the um, uh, Sabres and the uh, this Dallas Stars, but um, it's, it hasn't been this bad. Um, so, so this, it's, it's just, um, yeah, it's just uh, crazy that this is going on. And, and the other the other part that you also have to be careful of is okay if you bring the Canucks back if they're able to resume their season and they play against the other teams right. the last thing you want to do is have that spread to other parts of the division right. to the point where the entire division's being derailed and you're just left wondering okay well how do we fix this now yeah no, that's the other thing I think has to be considered too when they consider how soon the Canucks can play. Of course, and yeah, and I mean, they've already canceled a bunch of the Canucks games already. Like, I think, the, as I mentioned, the Canadians games with the Canucks were canceled, Senators, and I think the Jets were the other one. Um, so, so yeah, I think um, I, I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to play for the next couple of um, weeks, let alone months. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um but yeah, hopefully everything works out. But um, but who knows? Um, so on a on a brighter note, a bunch of um, college players um, who were drafted in the first round a couple um, in 2019 signed their entry level uh, contracts this year because the college season is over and their team is out. Um, so we have like five guys here. Uh, I know Steve's going to do a briefly mention type thing for his senators uh, right after this, but we thought it would be kind of like we've been wanting to talk about college hockey for a little bit, but it is cool that we just wanted to talk about these particular five players because I think they're going to make a big impact on their teams. Um, 
eventually. Maybe, you know, obviously they're still in college, so they still have to go into, like, the AHL and see, you know, watch them develop. So there's still, like, work to be done. Um, even for a guy like Cole Caulfield, which we're about to talk about, um, you know, we have to make sure that he's, like, he can play um, in the NHL right away and not just, um, um, you know, like, it, it makes sense to, like, put him in the AHL first um, instead. So, um, just because he is so small, and, and that was a big reason why he slipped. But, for Cole Caulfield, um, he was phenomenal this year. He was really good last year, too, but... This year was when he put a, like he made a step up um, from the year before. He had 52 points in 31 games. That leads he was by far the point scorer in the NCAA. He had 30 goals, um, 22 assists in 31 games. That's uh, really good um, as opposed to last year where he was a point per game player. Uh, the next closest guy um, was Odin Tufto, who was um, who's a went to Quinnipiac. Uh, he signed with uh, Tampa Bay a couple of um, days ago as well, but we're not talking about him. Um, but uh, Cole Caulfield, yeah, he had 52 points in 31 games, 30 goals. Uh, he also joined, um, ten, uh, joined, I guess he becomes the 10th player to score 30 goals um, in a college season. Um, and I'll just list you guys, um, list you, I don't know if you've seen this before, but, um, but he, he joined some good company here. So the first one is, uh, Kyle Connor, Brian Rolston, and Chris Drury. So the, all three have been pretty good, uh, pros or currently are good pros like Kyle Connor case, but, um, all three of those guys have 30, had 35 goals in a season. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Um, Chris Porter, I don't think I've heard of him before, but that was in 97, 98. Uh, Jason um, who we, we know more about because he's the G, he was the GM of the Sabres. Um, Thomas Vanek, um, we do know. Darren Hader, I don't know. Brian Gianta and Anson Carter were, uh, the last, um, were the ones who got 30 goals, so... Uh, Cole Caulfield joins that list, um, and it's just impressive that only 10 people in college hockey history have reached 30 or more goals in a season, and usually they play like 38 games, so so that just puts you into perspective of how good Cole Caulfield has been um, with that. That's almost a goal per game in the league, um, and yeah, and the interesting thing about Cole Caulfield too is the fact that he plays for Wisconsin. Um, yes, they have Dylan Holloway, who's, uh, who's who's also really good too. But um, just like the fact that the, their team wasn't really that good, it was just Cole Caulfield and Dylan Holloway um, just willing themselves into victory every time. Um, their goaltender, I guess, their goaltender was was pretty good as I'm looking here. He had a 933 205 GOA uh, GAA um, in 16 games, but um, but yeah, it's, it's decent, but it's like, I think it speaks more to the fact that like both Cole Caulfield and Dylan Holloway were able to like make Wisconsin into the team that they are right now. And, um, and Caulfield was by far their best player. Um, as for how I see him fitting into Montreal, the, I mean, we've talked about this before. The, the thing with 
the Canadians is is that they got Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, um, they re-signed Brandon Gallagher. Um, it seems like they're, and I, I think like the fact that they were able, even able to give Cole Caulfield like another season in Wisconsin kind of shows that they're just, you know, they're being patient with him, which is good in a way, but um, also in another sense, it's like, what are you waiting for? This guy is clearly ready to be in the NHL. Um, so it's, um, so it's, it's that part where you wonder if like, if he's like almost too good to be in the AHL, kind of like what Trevor Zegers was. Um, so, so yeah, I wonder how he'll fit once he does get into the lineup. I, I imagine we'll see him eventually. I don't know if we'll see him this season though. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it's something that we haven't seen in a while and he'll he'll be a big reason why like you know a lot of teams are going to be like how did he slip to 15th overall and 15th overall isn't bad but like Cole Caulfield should have been like in the top 10 um which is just crazy and I'm I'm just sad that I I going to have to root against him now um that he <laughs> now that he's a Canadian um, so, um, so that's, that's the bad part about it, but, um, but that's only my own Homer biased opinion here, but, um, yeah, so, so I, I think you have more stuff on Cole Caulfield. How do you think he'll, he'll do once he becomes a regular, if he becomes a regular, I should say. Well, I'm a Sens fan in the same division yeah. as yours in the same division as Montreal's and I, for one, I'm excited for, uh, our new overlord to <laughs> tear stuff up in the Atlantic division uh, when it does become the Atlantic division again. Uh, his first year as well was also pretty impressive. Uh, the University of Wisconsin uh, in his first year wasn't nearly as uh, much of a powerhouse as it was this year. And even then he had 19 goals and 17 and six yeah. for 36 points in 36 games. So a point of game player uh, almost got 20 goals. That's a goal per game pace of 0 0.53. Um, he had 140 shots as rookie. That's an average of 3.89 shots per game and a 13.6 shooting percentage, seven power play goals, two game winners. Not too shabby for a first-year player. Then, as you mentioned, Brett, 30 goals, 52 points, 31 games. So that's an average of, uh, well, a lot of points per game. So well, well over one per game, that's for sure. Um, 11 of his 30 goals on the power play which uh, <laughs> Montreal loves a power play goal scorer. Uh, kind of reminds me of Max Pacioretty a little bit. Uh, five of his 30 goals were game winners. 18.2 uh, shooting percentage, so his shooting went up this year, 165 shots. So that's 305 shots over two years at Wisconsin. Pretty good. Uh, and this year he averaged 5.32 shots per game. And again, you mentioned the 30 goals. He only played in 31 games. So that's almost a full goal per game pace, yeah. which you don't see too often in the NCAA. So that's pretty good. Now put that into perspective with some of the other college greats. And there are four on uh, my radar that I'm going to mention, or sorry, three I'm going to mention, uh, one of which you just mentioned in Kyle Connor. But I'll mention Jack Eichel first. Um, he played at Boston University. He scored in his one-and-done year because he only played one year with Boston University and then turned pro after that. 
He scored 16.9% of his team's goals, and he was also involved in 46% of his team's goals. Yep. As we all know, he's the team captain of the Sabres, top 15 offensive player in today's game, minimum. And he just absolutely killed it, like I said, with Boston University. Now you look at University of Michigan alumni Kyle Connor. He played three years in the USHL, played one in the NCAA, and that was it. In that lone season, he buried 19.3% of his team's goals, and he was involved in 39.2% of his team's goals. He is now a lethal striker in Winnipeg who did the unthinkable and make Patrick Lenny expendable. Johnny Gaudreau played three years of college hockey at Boston College yep. and really took it to another level in his final campaign, burying 17.8% of his team goals in year three, and he was also involved in 43.3% of his team's goals. Cole Caulfield, year two at Wisconsin. 25.4% of his team's goals were scored by Cole Caulfield. Out of that list of players, Jack Eichel, Kyle Connor, and Johnny Gaudreau in year three, that was a better percentage of scoring team goals than all three of them. And furthermore, Cole Caulfield was involved in 44% of his team's tallies. The only guy that had a higher percentage was Jack Eichel, and he only bettered Cole Caulfield's number by 2%. So when you consider that, and you consider the elite company he's a part of there, I think it's pretty obvious that Cole Caulfield's going to be getting Nick Suzuki passes, and he's just going to be one-time yep. them constantly in the net. Power play, even strength, doesn't matter. He's going to become a consistent 30-goal scorer, like we thought he was going to be the day they drafted him. And... The Canadians haven't had a 50-goal score in decades. Yep. I think that could change with Cole Caulfield. If all the stars align correctly, just the amount of depth they have offensively, I think a lethal striker like Cole Caulfield could put them over the top. I, I really believe he is that good. Yeah, so it's crazy considering that at every level of uh, Cole Caulfield's career, he's, like, dominated. Um, uh the league, whether like, even if it was like, even midget hockey, he dominated. Um, and he's kind of like a, a weird prodigy of, of some sort, but I think just the size issue is what makes him drop all this all of a sudden. But at the same time, this guy can score goals. It's, it's like goal Caulfield for a reason. That's his nickname. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so like, I, I'm like, you know, I always try to uh, for prospects, I like. I don't want to say like a hundred percent he's going to be a consistent thirty goal scorer because I know how hard that's going to be. But on the other hand, um, there's nothing to say that he can't be that. Um, so, so that's the that's the part where I'm like, okay, maybe he will be. Um, he will be pretty good, but um, but yeah, it it's still like you know you have to consider the fact that he's also going to be like he's a prospect. Um, and of course, guys like Johnny Gaudreau, as you mentioned, and um, even like Marty St. Louis, Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov, they're all under six feet. Um, and they've all obviously been like, they're all super superstars in the league um, and have shown that like you know, size doesn't really matter in the NHL or especially in 
this new NHL um, where there's more like hooking calls and there's more like freedom to be, you know, the emphasis is on speed and not on toughness. So, so this type of game would fit Cole Caulfield a lot, but at the same time, like, you know, being short doesn't always mean that you're going to be a good player and stuff like that. So, um, you know, like I, I am curious to see how that size is always going to be an issue for him. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see how that does fit into it. Cause there is that concern. And I imagine that's why a lot of teams passed up on him because yes, he can score a lot of goals, but if he, if he gets like roughed up, it's like, um, or if he, you know, if he gets, uh, uh, if he can't like, you know, get a clear path to everything cause he's so small, then yeah, I, I, I think there is a like, concern there, but at the same time, it's like he's been very good at every level um, of hockey that he's been at. So there's nothing to say that he can't um, he can't overcome that either. Um, but I figured that was worth a mention at least that like we do have to say that he is five seven. So it's not like um, um, he's a slam dunk obvious uh, guy that should be uh, taken. Um, who's going to obviously be uh, that you make and it is an interesting point about his size Brad you look at Montreal um, their overall team size has gone up uh, this season compared to last season which is good you all have a big defenseman like Joel Edmondson that can step in if he's getting pushed around also Brendan Gallagher too Josh Anderson so Gallagher's a short one too lack of Cole Caulfield's size with the amount of big guys that they already have in the lineup which is Another reason, I also like his compete level, where there were times uh, where Wisconsin's down, Cole Caulfield gets a big goal, they almost come back and win the game a few times. Yeah. So it's not just scoring goals, it's scoring timely goals as well, which is ultimately, I think, what Mon- what Montreal needs. Because at times I feel like they don't get that big goal when they should, yep. and I feel like a lethal striker with Caulfield, he can be effective and and score timely goals because of his precise shooting and just his willingness to compete. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, I guess, and also not to mention, like, Brendan Gallagher is around his height, too, so he probably could be a good mentor to Caulfield eventually, too. Um, So so that's uh, another thing to to consider as well. Mm-hmm. Also, and what? Brendan Gallagher yeah. is a guy that goes right to the net too yep, and annoys true. the goalie, which allows Caulfield to probably get the time and space to do whatever exactly. the heck he wants. Yep. Which I, I think is also pivotal too. True, true. Um, and when I was mentioning all the short players, I forgot to mention Brad Marchand. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> that there's, there's It just goes to show you that there's many uh, examples of short players and making it into the NHL like Alex Debrincat's another one but um but yeah it's it, it still is a concern in a way though but I I think he can't just because of those examples I think it it's still definitely possible but I can I can see it um you know it's still being like well he, you know the reason why he didn't make it was just because he couldn't transition from from his height and stuff so so that that would be my only concern there um, so now, uh, we go to, uh, I guess, uh, no, I guess two of these, four of these five players we're going to talk about were former teammates on that 
U.S. under-18 team from two years ago. Um, so this guy is Spencer Knight. We've talked a bit about him before because uh, when we were talking about Florida for a bit. Um, and during the World Juniors, he had an incredible World Juniors where he went, um, he like he lost to Russia um, and Dustin Wolf had to replace him. But then he went on a five-game run and uh, and then he ended up, even still, he had nine a 940 save percentage and a GAA of 1.63 in um, in, in six games in the World Juniors, of course, small sample size, but he was very impressive um, in the World Juniors and, and took them to the title there. Um, but he was even more impressive um, in his two years at BC, Boston College. Um, so le- he was even more impressive his rookie year, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, um, because he had a, he, in 33 games, he had a 1.97 GAA, <clears throat> A save percentage of nine thirty one, uh, twenty three. He went twenty three eight and two, um, in BC his freshman year, um, and then uh, his sophomore year, um, he went uh, he in twenty one games he was two point one eight GAA and a save percentage of nine thirty two, which is still pretty good. Um, Sixteen four and one was his record there. Um, I actually saw a bit of him play um, last year his freshman year. He's going to be a very good goalie, um, and it, it's it's more like a technical thing. Like he's not going to be like um, like um, a Dominic Hashik type, where like he, it seems like he's always out of position and somehow he makes this incredible save. He's more of like the the technical guy, kind of like a Tuka Rask type thing, where he's always in position um, and always knows where the puck is, and and that's obviously what you want out of a goalie. Um, Unless you're Dominic Hasek, who is incredible. So, um, so the thing that's um, interesting about Spencer Knight um, is the fact that Sergei Bobrovsky um, still has uh, nine more years left on his contract. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky has been better in his second year um, in this contract, so so that's good for the Florida Panthers in the in the you know in the short term. But, um, and then you have Chris Dreiger, who's going to be a UFA next year, and they have, you know, the Panthers have some decisions to make um, in the future. But there's also Devon Levi in the system, um, who they got uh, this year's draft, and um, he was the Canadian goalie um, in the World Juniors as well, who was also pretty impressive. But I think this is, uh, you know, Spencer, this is Spencer's night, night's, um, net for the future in Florida. Um, it's just a matter of when that's going to happen. Um, so I think it is good that he did get an entry-level contract, so that just shows that, like, even with Sergei Borovsky still in net, that Spencer Knight's going to, you know, be around or probably be that backup for, uh, for him eventually, and maybe they'll do a tandem type thing for until Sergei Borovsky ends that contract in 2026, 27, which is like forever <laughs> from now. So, so that we'll see how that works. But, um, so I think like just from a development standpoint, I was a little bit critical of why they signed Sergei Bobrovsky to a, such a long-term deal and then a draft Spencer Knight, um, almost immediately after, 
Um, because I thought that was a little bit odd, because it's like, well, wait, what are you doing with Spencer Knight? Because then you're going to, um, you know, have him, you know, because then what are you going to do when Spencer Knight outplays Bobrovsky, which could still happen, but I think, I think what they're trying to do is that they're trying to ease Spencer Knight into it in case that they don't want to rush him, they don't want to, um, overdevelop him either, but, um, or underdevelop him, I guess, uh, is the right thing. They don't want to put him into uh, the the team right away, which is why they allowed him to go to BC for a second year. Um, and we'll and obviously we'll see how he does in Springfield. But but yeah, it's um um I think it'll, it'll be a while before we see him really take charge. But I I would say that maybe like in two years we'll see Spencer Knight be what we think he's going to be and I think he's going to be a really really good goalie um I can't say for sure that he's going to be like a Vezina winner or uh something like that but um if if anything I think he'll be like a, a solid goalie in the NHL um for years to come so I will mention um how they plan to use Spencer Knight because that is important but I will uh gloss uh, I will uh quickly glossed over the uh the stats he posted with boston college uh so his first year he went 23 8 and 2 with a 931 save percentage of 1.97 gaa yep. uh faced 937 shots stopped 872 of them recorded five shutouts pretty good this year went 9 3 and 0 with uh three shutouts so 1.85 gaa and a 943 save percentage uh, faced 436 shots and stopped 411 of them. Uh, the biggest sign of maturity for me was his play at the World Juniors, not just um, the way he bounced back against um, Russia after the opener, um, but also the year before he also played at the World Juniors and didn't really look like he was in a groove. He, he felt a little bit out of place at times and he was able to bounce back and the fact that he's able to turn pro after two years shows just how much faith that they have in this kid a guy that seems to radiate a lot of self-confidence seems very composed his team can feed off of that and no doubt i think he can be a difference maker at uh, the big league level he's a top 15 pick for a reason in his draft year um now going to how they will utilize him uh, Ken Campbell of the Hockey News tweeted that um, they don't plan to send him down to the AHL. Oh, really? And he could actually be with the team sooner than we think. And I think part of the reason is, remember, before the AHL season began, there were three teams that pulled out of the upcoming AHL campaign due to the pandemic. I believe Springfield was one of them because if you look at the AHL website, you will notice that Sam Montembeau has stat lines with the Syracuse Crunch, which is Tampa Bay's affiliate, and not Florida's. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's why he's going to be with the big league team as soon as possible. They want to keep him fresh, and there's also been a trade chatter involving Chris Drieger. That's heated up as well. Right. And Chris Drieger's been very well. Uh, he's played very well with the Panthers this year, so the fact that that trade interest is picking up they feel that he can be inserted into the lineup right away which adds to the chatter of why did they give Bobrovsky that seven-year deal um but 
I, I do I do think that he is a future number one goalie. I think it's going to take him a couple of years of NHL action to solidify that role. Um, but in, in, in due time, we're going to see exactly why he went as high as he did. And and I, I, I think that all of his experiences um, have prepared him very well for this moment. And you're, you're going to see him perform as well as Jake Eitinger has performed uh, in yep. Dallas. I, I think he That's can have that kind of impact on him. I think he could even have an impact like Thatcher Demko, which is what we're about to get to. Um, he's been because I I saw Thatcher Demko at BC too, but um, I think they're both very comparable too, um, where um, they're both very good goalies and um, and made BC into like the powerhouse that they are uh, for years. So so that's um, interesting thing. Uh, so now we go to another BC. Uh, player who also was on that U.S. under-18 team as well. Uh, we're going to talk about um, Matthew Boldy. This is an interesting case because both of because he um, he's going to an interesting team um, in the Minnesota Wild. Um, he was selected 12th overall, so before Spencer Knight and Cole Caulfield. Um, and also, uh, like the fact that like you know f- for Spencer Knight and Cole Caulfield. They've both been um, under, uh, you know, they've been good for their two seasons here. Whereas for Matthew Boldy, like, he he kind of struggled a little um, in his first year at BC. Um, he had 26 points in 34 games, which isn't terrible, of course, but not like, you know, a, goal, a, a point per game type player um, that we were expecting of him or stuff like that. But I remember do. I remember watching him every now and then um, because I did go to start to go to a couple of these BC games when he was here, um, and yeah, he's like he was um, he he wasn't noticeable at times, but every now and then you'd be like, oh right, I forgot they had Matthew Boldy and stuff. But that was his freshman year, um, and then his sophomore year was when he really took took off. Um, he had. Um, he has 11 goals in 20 assists. That puts him at 31 points um, in 22 games. Um, and that's uh, 7 points in 7 games in the World Juniors as well. So, And that's 5 goals as well. So this year was when he really started to develop and become the player that we all expected him to be. Um, and I guess that's still the case. We're, we're still unsure compared to like... Um, Spencer Knight and Cole Caulfield, where I think we have a good sense of what they're going to be. But um, the interesting thing about Matt Boldy is he's kind of described as like being like more of a power forward type player. Um, so and usually those type of players tend to develop later on compared to like a sniper like Cole Caulfield is. It, it does take a while for goalies to develop, so that makes uh, Spencer Knight the exce- uh, the exception. But. Um, yeah, Matthew Boldy could be an interesting thing, but I, I imagine just because it took him a while to get acclimated, um, he's probably going to be on in the Iowa Wild for a little bit. Um, but it is interesting to see how he's going to handle um, it when he does become a pro um, or go to the Minnesota Wild on the pro roster because they now have... Um, 
They now have, uh, what's his face, Kirill Kaprizov. They just drafted Marco Rossi, who's going to be pretty good. Um, they have, uh, you know, maybe uh, Matt, um, Adam Beckman, who's been pretty good in the uh, QHL. Uh, Wait, now I can't even. It's like QJHL. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, you know, Alexander Kovanov, who was in the KHL, and he was also in the QMJHL as well. Um, and they've all been pretty good. So, like, pretty, like, in a couple of years, like, this Minnesota Wild team, if they, you know, if they all pan out, that's going to be a pretty nasty top six team in, in Minnesota. Um, so, so I am curious to see how he fits in with those guys. But I think he'll be, like, a maybe, like, a 60-point guy um, at his peak, um, maybe 65, um, something like that. But, yeah, he'll be pretty good. Um um, I think, but like he has to develop correctly, um, and I imagine he'll stay in Iowa for a little bit um, before he's actually ready. Of course, if he's like he pulls a Trevor Zegers and he's like he he shows that he's better than um, been than than that, then he'll probably uh, he'll go to Minnesota right away. But um, yeah, I could see him making an impact, maybe. Um, next year, but I would guess that he'll he'll take a while to truly develop. Yeah. Um, so just a disclaimer um, on some of the NCAA prospect sites that uh, I visited, um, they didn't display the completed stats. And Spencer Knight, um, he actually finished with twenty one games, a two point one eight GA and a nine thirty two save percentage. Oh. I mentioned that because it's the same with Matthew Boldy and uh, some of the other players that we're gonna talk about. So I don't have as complete of a picture as I did with uh, players like Caulfield. But anyways, Matthew Boldy was still pretty good. Um, his first year, 2019-20, uh, cut short by the pandemic obviously, nine goals, seventeen and six for twenty six points in thirty four games. Uh, recorded stat-wise, he had a power play goal and a game-winner goal, uh, which, if that holds up, not too bad. Uh, yeah. 8.9 shooting percentage, 101 shots on goal, uh, an average of just under three shots per game, 2.97 is the exact amount, and goals per game, 0.26. Pretty good. Uh, this year, on that team was Spencer Knight and a couple of other noteworthy players I will mention. He led the way in scoring with 31 points in 22 games, 11 goals, 20 assists. Uh, so that's 1.40 points per game and uh, half a goal per game, which is, again, very good. Um, you, you rhymed off the names that Minnesota has in depth chart. You mentioned Kirill Kaprizov. You also look at Joel Erickson Eck and how his game has developed. Jordan Greenway's game has developed as well. Um, Adam Beckman, you mentioned him, uh, could be a good talent. Yep. And I feel that they're already fun to watch. They could be a top 10 team in the league, assuming everything works out with those guys. Yep. Um, and I think Matthew Boldy is a guy that can really benefit from a playmaker like uh, Kirill Kaprizov as well. Um, maybe they slide him down the middle, see what he has there. Um but I definitely think in a couple of years, um, two to three years, I th he's going to start his AHL career uh, first before he starts his NHL career. If everything goes well in Iowa, um, we could see him up in the big leagues within the next year or two. 
and then I think at that point um, you can you can start to evaluate his NHL potential from there. But it's been a growing process with guys like Joel Erickson Eck and Jordan Greenway. So I would advise people that if things don't necessarily develop at first glance the way you hoped it would, it, it's it's something that we've seen with young Minnesota players. Sometimes it just takes a couple of years for them to get under their wings, and then they really take off. Yeah. So uh, it, it might not. The grass might not immediately grow green right away with this guy, but I definitely think um, he's got the top six potential and could be an impact player for them. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be like a long burn for him, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you have Kaprizov and you'll have Marco Rossi to look forward to. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's going to be too bad for Minnesota, um, considering they have much better prospects uh, to look out for. Um, oh, and uh, I guess Kakanen as well. Um, and Kalen Addison is another defensive prospect. I was wondering, like, mm-hmm. they, they must have... To add to the, yeah. the counter-argument, you think, hey, maybe it might not be as much yeah. a slow burn as it is for Matthew Boldy because you have those True. guys surrounding him. Yeah, that's Whereas a fair point. Past, it was more like a generic average team. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think he could make an impact, but I feel like those guys in particular will make a bigger impact. Um, so we'll see. Um, all right. Now we go to another, well, we're going to Michigan here. Um, we're going to go back to BC in a bit, but, uh, we're going to go to Michigan because Cam York signs with Philly. Um, this is an interesting, uh, pick because he's a defenseman for Philly. Um, it's interesting most, well, I guess I'll get into his stats here in, in Michigan, um, he had, well, first off, he had a pretty decent World Juniors, of course, so did everyone else that we talked about, had a pretty good uh, World Juniors, too, but, um, yeah, he had six points in seven games, he was, like, the captain of Team USA, and they won, I'm gonna brag about that for the rest of my life, Steve, um, and, um, and then when he goes to Michigan, um, he has 20 points in, uh, 24 games, uh, which is decent, but you have to consider the fact that he's, uh, you know, he's a defenseman. So, like, 20 points in 24 games is a lot for uh, a defenseman like that. The year before that, um, he was, um, his rookie year, he, it was okay, uh, 16 points in 30 games, um, and didn't score any points in the World Juniors when he was there um, for Team USA. The thing that's interesting about this Michigan team compared to last year was they didn't have Owen Power, they didn't have Matt, Matty Beniers, uh, they didn't have Kent Johnson, they didn't have Thomas Bordelow, um, they didn't have Brendan Brisson, but um, but so so Cam York got like brand new players on Team Michigan, um, and he was able to like you know pick up the slack and. And, and be that guy uh, for, for them. Um, so, yeah, he had 20 points in 24 games. Um, the thing that's uh, interesting about him is that, like, he does shoot a bit for a defenseman. He has 42 uh, shots in 24 games compared to, like, Owen Power, for instance, who I'm looking here, who had 41 shots in 26 games. So that that is something that you have to keep in mind, I guess. Um, but the fact that um, 
yeah, I think he's like more of a playmaker and things. And I think it's interesting that he's going to Philadelphia, which is really why I brought him up. Um, because yes, they have Ivan Provorov, but and and Shane Gossetsbear has been pretty good, but he's been healthy scratch. There's rumors that he's going to be traded pretty soon. So um, he went on waivers last week. So so the interesting thing is, is now I'm wondering if Cam York's going to step in and be, um, you know, be like another defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, yeah, they also have Philip Myers, Eric Gustafson, Travis Sanheim, Justin Braun. Um, but they're kind of weak on the defensive side of things. So I feel like Cam York could fit in well with Philadelphia um, because, you know, he has shown leadership from being the captain of the World Juniors. He has shown that he can score a little bit as well. So I, th- I think um, he could be their, the next big defenseman for Philadelphia. I don't think he'll, like overtake Ivan Provorov. I still think Provorov is probably better than Cam York, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like a lot of teams, especially contending teams, they need more than one good defenseman, and uh, Cam York is, could be that guy uh, for Philly. Yeah, just taking a look at the college stats uh, with Michigan, and uh, again, not as big of a sample size because of the incompleted stat categories, but the stats I was able to get, pretty good. Um, As a rookie, 16 points in 30 games, five of those for goals, so that's 0.17 goals per game, 0.53 points per game. First year, pretty good. Second year, 20 points, 24 games, so that's 0.83 points per game. Uh, same amount of goals per game rate, 0.17. This time he had four goals in 24 games. Uh, so like you said, a bit more of a playmaker. Now, you do have in Provorov logging a ton of minutes on the Flyers' blue line, doing that for multiple years already. However, I've noticed um, on Twitter that a lot of people are just saying he seems at times lost on the power play. So kind of tells you a little bit of inconsistencies there. Yep. Uh, but the upside to Provorov's game is still pretty bright. Uh, they do have a plethora of young defensemen to choose from to fill out the other slots, like Philip Myers and Travis Sanheim, um, et cetera, et cetera. Shane Gostisbehere, as you mentioned, still in the picture for now. Matt Niskanen, though, no longer in the picture and was key to Provorov's success last year. Um, there's, It kind of makes you wonder if any of the young defenseman I just mentioned can kind of take the load off of Provorov's shoulders. Cam York might be a guy that uh, can do that. Uh, as you mentioned, going in with all those first-year players and helping Michigan uh, accomplish something and getting to the tournament, unfortunately COVID knocked them out, so they yeah. never got to play in the actual Frozen Four tournament. But they were there, and part of the reason was because of uh, Cam York being as composed and poised as he is. Uh, perhaps he can be a guy that can chew on a lot of those minutes. And perhaps once he hits his stride, the Philadelphia Flyers can be led by Cam York and Ivan Provorov. Yep. Um, so that's that's something to look forward to there. And I, I remember uh, coming across a tweet as well of uh, Philadelphia Sports Park when Cole Caulfield is on the board, so is Cam York. The Flyers chose York. And they and both of them, yeah. I believe, were teammates on the U.S. National Development. They were. So everyone hears the U.S. National Development, they're like, "Yay!" And then they hear Cam York, and they're just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> so 
it, it would have been nice for the Flyers if they got Cole Caulfield, but I think Cam York offers a lot of composure on the blue line, and I do think he's going to win over the Flyers fans. And similar to Spencer Knight, I the composure on the big stage also shows. Yes. Um, this past year, not only was he a gold medal winner on that U.S. team at the 2021 World Juniors, he was the team captain and put up six points in seven games on the blue line. The year before, he played five games at the 2020 tournament and got zero points. Across the board, zero. So this guy seems to enter a tough situation, take it like it's any other game. No moment is too big or too small for him. The pressure cookers, he seems to do well in those. And a fan base like Philly, you need to be able to handle that pressure. It's a great place to win, similar to a place like Montreal and Toronto uh, in Canada. But when you're losing games and everyone is taking notice and they're looking at guys that are doing well and guys that aren't, um, it, it can be tough on you mentally. And yep. I think having a thick skin can be helpful during those challenging times. So I, I, I think the Flyers have a real good winner in Cam York, and um, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised once again here. Yeah, I, you showed me that clip of Flyers fans being disappointed about it because they didn't get Cole Caulfield. And, and I guess that is fair because Cole Caulfield should have been like a top 10 pick. But um, And so I get that. But at the same time, I feel like they're not going to be disappointed by Cam York. Um, he's going to be a pretty good player. Um, but he may not be as flashy as all these other guys we're talking about. So there is that to consider. Um, okay, so uh, and then lastly... We've, we've gone on pretty long here for, uh, I guess we didn't mean to, but, um, is Alex Newhook. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he signs with Colorado. Um, and, uh, yeah, so for the interesting thing about him here is, well, first off, I remember watching him in person, um, his, uh, his rookie year and he was incredible. It was like, amazing like whenever he was always on the ice it felt like he was always on the ice and when he was on the ice he always had the puck and when he had the puck he was always making moves and making plays um he was clearly the the best player even as a freshman um and it showed on the stats too uh he had 42 points in 34 games um and yeah it, it was like it was crazy that he was even um well first off that he's gonna go to colorado which, like, if you think that they have a ton of depth already, watch out for this kid because he's going to be pretty good. Um, Colorado signs him. He went 16th overall. Uh, the thing that's interesting about him and compared to the other four that were signed is he's Canadian, um, but he somehow went to college instead of going to, uh, you know, a a school in, uh, or like one of the OHL, I think he's, um, let me see. Oh, so he grew up in St. John's. I think that's a QMJHL. Is that right, Steve? Uh, so St. John's is actually in a part of Canada that has produced, uh, is in a part of uh, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, oh. which has produced some notable NHL players, uh, such as, Dawson Mercer, I believe he's okay. uh, a Newfoundland guy, and I think Michael Ryder's uh, from uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, that, I think he played for the Bruins for about a hot minute or two. But that is a um, Q. That is a QMJHL territory, right? 
Uh, it would be yes. I think they did have some QMJHL history. They currently okay. have a QMJHL team. Uh, okay. There are other parts of uh, the Maritimes that have QMJHL teams. St. John's, Newfoundland. Got it. Um, it's it's uh, surrounded by water and not <laughs> the most populated place Got in it. Canada. But there are some good Newfoundland players that have come out of there in yeah. recent years, and Alex Newick is definitely one of them. Got it. Interesting. Okay, so... Um, yeah, it's just interesting because like, usually Canadian players who are... He was pretty good in the BCHL. He had 102 points in 53 games. Usually those kind of players go to the junior or the CHL, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, wherever that is. But he took the Kale McCarr route and decided to go to college. Um, I guess Jonathan Taze also did the same thing too, but... Um, Paul Korea did with Yeah, Paul Korea is another day. one. Yeah, I'm trying to like. I'm sure there's other Canadians who went to the NH- yep. uh, the college as well. But um, yeah, it's just interesting that he went to uh, college, um, and he you know and he showed how good he actually is. Um, and so yeah, he had 42 points in 34 games. He was really really good, as I just mentioned his freshman year. The interesting thing is this year he kind of slipped up a little bit, but I I think it's because he got injured. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I see that he only played 12 games. However, he had 16 points in those 12 games, so he more than made up for it. And he also went to the World Juniors, um, where he was a point-per-game player. He had six points in six games. So, um, yeah, he was really good for Team Canada. Of course, Team Canada was dominating everything except for the U.S. Um, at that point. So, so yeah, the, the thing that's... It's like a, it's an embarrassment of riches for uh, Colorado, really, because um, he's going to be a very good player. Um, I guess the the interesting thing is obviously he's not going to be like usurp Nathan McKinnon on the top line there. Uh, that makes no sense. But um, I think he could be like uh, the second line center um, eventually when Nazem Kadri is a free agent in two years. I could see that happening where they may be like. Put him in, like, briefly this season just to see how he, you know, just to get him acclimated in Colorado. Um, and then um, and then maybe next year they put him on the third line. And then once Nazem Kadri's out, then they can, um, they can make him, you know, they can promote him and stuff. Um, I think he's going to be really, a really, really good player. Um, and someone that no one is really talking about. Um, because I think he's going to be a, re- a really, really good player. Yeah, Joe Sackick um, loves uh, the British Columbia connection. Right. Um, being a guy from Burnaby, BC himself, um, he, uh, the Avalanche a few years ago, I think it was the seniors, Logan Brown draft, so that would be 2016. Yep. They drafted Tyson Jost, I think, 10th overall. And uh, he was a pretty good player uh, in some of the BC leagues. And... Uh, Alex Newbuck actually played uh, for the Victoria Grizzlies in the BCHL before he actually uh, turned to the NCAA ranks. And as a rookie in that league, he had 22 goals, 44 assists for 66 points. Then he erupted for 38 goals, 64 assists, and 102 points as team captain. He did that in 45 and 53 games, respectively. Uh, In his rookie NCAA season, you mentioned the 42 points in 34 games. I know he played on probably a better team than Cole Caulfield did, but he had more points than Cole Caulfield, and he had the same amount of goals as Cole yeah. Caulfield his first year. And uh, this year, 
he averaged a 0.58 goals per game, which is a little bit higher than his rookie year. It was 0.56 as a rookie. And, yeah, you mentioned the 16 points in 12 games. That's uh, higher points per game than uh, his rookie year, too. So in the limited action in the NCAA that he saw this year, he was pretty good, and he was still a top-five scorer on the team. So I, I still think, I mean, you look at Colorado's offense, and you're thinking, man, if they can score five goals in a period and Donskoy can get a hat-trick in a period, yeah. imagine what Alex Newhook can do with yeah. that top six or on the top nine. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know how you can contain Colorado already. I don't know how you can contain them with Alex Newhook in the fold. But, yeah, I definitely think he could be a solid top six forward for them, a number two, number three center to start off for, um, mostly number three. But I think, yeah, you're right. Once Kadri moves on, maybe he's the number two guy down the middle. And I also think he could get some premium power play time, too, yeah. if his release is that good. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to be guaranteed where the points are are going to come about right uh, right away because you have guys like Burakovsky and Saad and, and Kadri and Confer and Don Square right. there. But once it gets time to pay a guy like Nathan McKinnon uh, in like two, three, four years, however long it is, that is when, and Landis Dog too, I guess, that is when a cheap young guy like Alex Newbook is probably going to get a bigger role. So yeah. I don't know if in a couple of years – He's going to be producing at, you know, 40, 50, 60 point pace. That could happen maybe in year four or year five if it happens at all. True. Um, I definitely think the potential is there for that, but I don't think it's going to happen right away just because Colorado was already loaded with depth. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I, I think I haven't seen him play wing, so maybe he could play wing too. Um, but, um, you know, kind of like what Trevor Zegris or Dylan Cousins are doing right now, where they're playing wing um, simply because they don't really have a choice. Um, so, so I could see that also happening. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's also a good point, that eventually when McKinnon gets his pay raise, when Landis Scott gets his pay raise, when Randon gets his pay raise, McCarr, all these guys get their pay raise, then Grubauer that's when you have... Well, yeah, Grubauer's another one. Grubauer too. Yeah, Grubauer is another one. So, like, once, like, you know, then eventually they're going to be like Toronto where they have to rely on these entry-level contracts to, to keep them going or give them that extra edge. Um, so so maybe eventually then they can start to make Alex Newhook's role even bigger. But I guess I could go for every team pretty much, but especially for Colorado because they're, like, the best team in the league right now. Um so, so now, um, before we go to Thatcher Demko, um, I do want to mention that the Frozen Four um, is happening this Thursday and, um, and Saturday uh, is going to be the championship. So, so that's exciting. Um, and I guess the big reason why all these players got signed uh, right now as opposed to like next week is because all those teams... Ended. Uh, BC uh, lost to St. Cloud State. Uh, Michigan was out uh, due to COVID, as Steve alluded to. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of these teams were um, like Minnesota 
BC, uh, BU, North Dakota, they all lost, like, a bunch of uh, Wisconsin. They all lost really early into this tournament. And um, so it's just impressive that, like, these four teams are now in it. Uh, Minnesota Duluth is uh, one of... I'm just going to list the four teams here. Minnesota Duluth, uh, UMass, Minnesota State, and St. Cloud State. So that's four... Uh, sorry, that's three Minnesota schools and one Massachusetts school. Um, that's usually how it goes, but sometimes it's like BU or BC that's in there. But um, UMass has been pretty good lately, um, uh, which is interesting too because they don't... Like, when you look at their roster, they don't have too many, like... Get, like NHL prospects on there. Um, there's Zachary Jones, who is a Rangers prospect, um, but pretty much everyone else isn't really one. Um, I guess Bobby Trevingo is their their best player here. He's undrafted. Um, there's also then if you go to Minnesota State, um, they do have Dryden McKay, who's a Hobie Baker finalist. He's not going to win it because Cole Caulfield will, but um, he has an impressive 1.39 GAA and a save percentage of 9.31 um, in 25 games. So I, I assume a team is going to find um, is going to sign him, um, and then like you know they're even in worse shape from UMass because no no uh, forward or defenseman um, is an NHL prospect for Minnesota State. So they're the true underdogs really. Um, uh, Minnesota Duluth has a decent amount of NHL prospects. Quinn Olson is a Bruins prospect. Uh, Nick Sweeney, I think, is a Minnesota one. Uh, Jackson Cades, oh no, Noah Cades is the Philadelphia Flyers one. Wyde Kaiser was signed by the Blackhawks this year, or, uh, you know, uh, was drafted by the Blackhawks this year. Um, he's been pretty good. Um, and then lastly, there's uh, St. Cloud State. Uh, the biggest one is v- VT Mietinen. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, Steve, in the draft preview, I was wondering why VT Mietinen wasn't being drafted and he gets into, um, he was like, I think he was a six-round pick or something like that to Toronto. And I was just like annoyed that no team was picking him because I thought he was going to be pretty good. Um, and it, it and seems even more so, annoyed that Toronto picked and, him. And even more annoyed that Toronto picked him. It's like... Cole Caulfield, but not as bad. Um, but um, but yeah, he's 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 their best player on St. Cloud State. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting this year in particular because like the big powerhouses that are usually good every year Minnesota, North Dakota, Boston College, BU um, they're not. And even like you know the teams that I was looking forward to was Wisconsin and Michigan. They get out in the first round, so. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, Minnesota Duluth is usually pretty good. UMass has been in it for the last couple of years too, but, um, but yeah, it's, it it is strange that it's not the powerhouses. I'm going to be rooting for UMass, um, because, you know, of course I have to, I have to rep all the Massachusetts schools. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be Minnesota Duluth that's going to win it. Yeah, so for anyone questioning Minnesota's the state of hockey, I think uh, they continuously prove why they are. Yep. Um, 
the fact that you have three of the Minnesota schools in the Final Four of course. just basically speaks volumes there. Minnesota Duluth quietly has an NCAA dynasty going. I don't know if you know this. Yeah. This is their fourth straight Final Four, not counting 2020, because 2020 didn't happen because COVID-19. Right. Um, but they won the championship in 2018. They won the championship in 2019. So they're going for the unorthodox three-peat which is three titles in four years, because, again, 2020 didn't happen. Um, and in 2017, they made it to the final four, four straight year of the championship uh, being played uh, that they're in the final four tournament. And they're 16-10-2 and two yeah. with Scott Sandlin at the helm. So they just continue to find ways to just appear in this tournament. And that game against North Dakota... Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, I'm sure, were watching Arch Madness a couple nights ago. Uh, I think it was Gonzaga versus UCLA, and they're just hyped about that. Hockey in Canada signed off last Saturday, or a couple Saturdays ago. They were in the third overtime. It ended in the fifth overtime. Yeah. That's, that's how long that game dragged on for. And I feel like when it comes to eventual championship winners, they have a pivotal moment in their run where it's put up or shut up time, where it's time to deliver. Tampa Bay, of course, had that five overtime game against Columbus last year, which kind of started their run. And that's just to cite one example. St. Louis in 2019 had that double OT game against Dallas, which kind of solidified their run as well. I kind of feel that no test is big enough for many Duluth to conquer right now. And just their reputation of winning over the past couple of years, I think is going to carry them through this thing. Um, Massachusetts is led by the other Matt Murray, not yep. the NHL Matt Murray, the college too. Matt Murray. And he's been good as uh, Matt Murray before he entered the NHL. <laughs> Massachusetts is an 18, five and 14. So they should be interesting to watch. Um, the head coach at St. Cloud state, according to Wikipedia, Brett Larson has gone 43-21-9 with the program since he started coaching them in 2018. So his track record's pretty good. They could surprise. My heart is rooting for Minnesota State simply because of Dryden McKay's stellar season. I'm not even going to talk about it because once he gets signed, I'll go through it in detail because it's absolutely ridiculous how good it yeah, is. Yes, he's been really like, good. He had a 30-win season his second year. Yeah, That's he's how been good really he's good. Been. And, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of want the underdog to win, so I'm rooting for Minnesota State, even though he says many Duluth will prevail in the end. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to be rooting for uh, Minnesota State and, um, and UMass. If UMass is out, then I'll root for Minnesota State because of the – I usually root for uh, the underdogs if – I don't have a dog in the fight, so to speak. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see. Um, it should be an interesting time. Um, and then, um, oh, I, I sorry, I forgot to mention. Um, you you wanted to say that Shane Pinto and uh, Jacob Bernard Docker are signed. I guess I spoiled you there, but yeah. So yeah. So there were a couple of notable um, mentions here. Uh, Odin Tufto signed with Tampa, David yep. Ference with Nashville, Mike Hardman with Chicago, Dallas signed Jordan Kawaguchi and Adam Shield from North Dakota, Matt Keir said of North Dakota signed with Florida, also just made his NHL debut. He played on Saturday, so already yep. in the NHL is Matt Kierstead. And then you have the Sens, 
decisions with North Dakota, which were weighing heavily on the fan base for quite a few days. Jacob Bernard Docker was the first to sign three-year entry-level contract, played three years at North Dakota. Shane Pinto played two. That was down to the wire. They got it done. He's turned pro. Jake Sanderson, however, will be returning to North Dakota next season. Not much of a surprise, even though deep into the overtime games against Mini Duluth, he was still making like end-end rushes and still getting quality chances like it was nothing at all. Um, But I do think another year of college hockey will be good for him. Plus, Ottawa's young defensive depth is already to the point where they don't need Jake Sanderson to turn pro already. So I'm not entirely surprised that he's sticking around for his second year. But I definitely think if he wanted to turn pro, he could have. He's already showing signs that he's NHL ready. So, uh, yeah, positive signs this week for the Sens. They got two big guys to turn pro. And uh, Shane Pinto's also in the top three for the Hobie Baker. So he's getting national recognition on top of his entry level. So, yeah, a big week for Pinto and for Bernard Docker and for Jake Sanderson, the future already looking pretty bright and will continue. Yeah, I think it, it makes the makes the most sense to just give him another year, especially for the Sens when they don't necessarily need him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that makes the most sense for him to just stay there and stuff. It is funny, though, that like the Senators basically just have every North Dakota player. It's just it's really funny. Um, but um, yeah, they, they yeah. don't have Christian Molina anymore. They traded him, but yep. yeah, even he played for North Dakota once upon a time. True, true. It's it kind of reminds me of how Northeastern has like it's either a Canucks prospect or a Montreal Canadiens prospect. Like it, like they they have the market on Northeastern players, which is just funny. Um, particularly when both those teams are probably not the biggest fans of the Bruins, which is like the closest school year. Um, so that that's the funnier part uh, to me about uh, Northeastern. Um, anyways, let's uh, let's talk about what I guess it was supposed to be the main topic, but it looks like um, we went we went over on on the uh, the briefly mentioned quote unquote. Um, so uh, Demko, Thatcher Demko, he has a he got five years. Uh, for $5 million of an extension. Um, and yeah, so Thatcher Dem, um, and this is a pretty good deal. I guess we were kind of all expecting him to resign with Vancouver. Maybe not like this week, but it, it made sense that he would be signed. Um, the interesting thing about Demko is that, well, first off, you know, he really showed off what he could do in the playoff bubble last year. Um, where he had like a point oh six, he had a point six four GAA and a save percentage of nine eighty five. Of course, that was in four games, and they ended up losing that. But um, you know that series, so he didn't like take them so far. But he looked really impressive um, during that game because like Vegas had no answer for him, um, and then um, that kind of continued over uh, to this season where he had a 9.17 save percentage and a GAA of 2.77. Uh, that's by far his best season. I was a little bit skeptical of uh, Thatcher Demko. Like, I mean, I did see him play in BC, as I alluded to early on in this episode, but um, I I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to translate um, 
into Vancouver because when I looked at his previous stats, I was like, all right, he's like, you know, he has a 905 save percentage and a, a GAA of like 3.06 last year with, with 27 games. So it's like, is he really going to be that good? Um, you know, I mean, I guess he had, he played nine games the year before that, which with a 913 save percentage and a GAA of 2.81, which, which is okay. Um, and I guess he he also played one game um, in 2017-2018. But, but yeah, it seems like this year in particular, um, he really came into his own. I mean, I think that's also helped by the fact that, uh, one, uh, Jacob Markstrom isn't on the team anymore, and Braden Holtby, who they, who they brought in to be, like, the starter guy, he hasn't been as good as they thought he would be. So, uh, so Demko has kind of took over and become that guy. The thing that you have to mention is, yeah, yes, 917 save percentage isn't great in the grand scheme of things. It's, like, average. But the fact that you have to keep in mind that he's playing Toronto, he's playing Edmonton, he's playing Winnipeg, all of them are high-powered offenses. Um, Calgary, to some extent as well, is also like gets offense, although they're not really consistent. Um, so, so yeah, he play, he's playing a lot of high-powered offenses, and it's just it's amazing that he's even able to get like an average stat. So I'm, I am curious to see how he does um, in the next couple of seasons when, you know, when they are going to play all 32 teams now. Um, I guess all 31 teams because one of those teams is Vancouver. So um, when he plays the rest of the NHL, I should say. Um, and um, that that will be interesting to see how he does. I think he is pretty legit. I do, like, I feel like $5 million for five years is a little bit low for what we think he's capable of. But we'll get into it eventually because... Elias Peterson's going to have to be paid. Quinn Hughes is going to have to be paid. Uh, Brock Besser as well. So um, so I think in the grand scheme of things, it's going to make sense in the long run. And this is a good opportunity for Demko to see what he's worth. Um, yeah, we'll see. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, so we'll take a look at the breakdown of his contract um, because um, I... It, this, this, in my opinion, could shape up in two different ways. It could either be a little bit of an overpayment or it could turn out to be a Connor Hellebuck-type bargain. Right. Uh, Connor Hellebuck was signed a couple of years ago to a six-year deal where it was six-point-something million or whatever per year. And a lot of people thought two, three, four years into his career, just like you don't know exactly what this guy is. That's a little yep. bit of a risk. And now it looks like one of the most cap-friendly contracts in the entire damn league. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I'll mention uh, the Hellebuck stuff uh, later on, but just a little bit of a breakdown here. Uh, his new deal is cheaper than Markstrom's deal with Calgary in 2020, this past offseason, and Jordan Bennington's extension he just signed with the Blues about a month ago. And his current contract or uh, sorry his future contract is also the exact same price tag term and dollars as robin leonard's with vegas uh so this is how it shapes up year by year year one 2.5 million dollars which probably means they're going to give a lot to peterson and hughes and they also have that louis erickson contract and the jay beagle contract and the antoine Roussel contract so already you're noticing 
they're going to give more money as the as the years go by. Year two, it's at a four point five million dollar total with a million dollar signing bonus. Um, so again, some of those bottom six contracts still on the books for Jim Benning. Year three, this is where the contract goes up to seven million total, which includes a million dollar signing bonus. Uh, year four, six million. Year five, five million. And uh, at, and on in the process of signing him to this deal, they also buy out three of his UFA years. So if they were to sign him to a two-year deal, then they risk losing him as a free agent. To which point, if he does absolutely off the walls amazing for Vancouver, he could get even more than five million on the open market. So. In, in hindsight, I think uh, the Canucks were pretty proactive in getting this done now. Uh, he just turned 25 years old last December, so starting to hit his prime, I guess. Uh, the, I don't see any no-move or no-trade packs on Cap Friendly, so that's good. Um, so then you look at his sample size uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, so 2018-19, he goes 4-3-1 and one in uh, nine games. Or eight starts, nine appearances, 2.81 GAA, 9.13 save percentage. 2019-20, that was last year. Um, obviously, lights out against Vegas in the playoffs, but overall in the regular season, he was okay. 13-10 and 0 in uh, 25 starts, 27 games. Or sorry, 13-10 and 2, I should say. Uh, 3.06 GAA, 9.05 save percentage. Um, this year, oddly enough, was his first... NHL shutout, and he's gone 12, 12, and 1 this year in uh, 25 games. All of them starts 2.77 GAA, 9.17 save percentage. Deeper dive into those numbers tells you the full story here. He ranks top five for most shots faced in the NHL this year. Specifically, he's fourth with 836 shots faced. His 767 saves this season are fewer than only the following three goalies. Connor Hellebuck, Kevin Lankinen, rookie on the Blackhawks, and Andre Vasilevsky, who, like Hellebuck, has won a Vezina. Then you look at this past month where Demko was just out of his mind amazing. 11 games in the month of March. 2.15 GAA, 9.37 save percentage, 8-3-0 record, his lone shutout of his career, and he stopped 357 shots, faced 381 shots. The only other goalie who faced more shots and made more saves was Connor Hellebuck. So, Thatcher Demko over the past month really solidified his status as Canucks goalie of the future. Facing, like you mentioned, those juggernauts with Toronto and Edmonton and, and, and all of those teams. And just taking a look specifically at those teams... Uh, you look at um, his stat line with uh, against Montreal. He was uh, just taking a look here. He w- he was two three and zero in five game again in five games against Montreal. Three point seven six GAA, eight ninety four save percentage against Ottawa. He probably he's given up yeah he's given up six goals in four games and he's won all of them. So yeah, dynamic against Ottawa. No shocker there. Against Toronto. Uh, 2-1-0 and oh, with a 907 save percentage. The GAA is over three, but still save percentage over 900. 1-2-1 one, in four games against Calgary. 883 save percentage, GAA over three. Against Edmonton, he is 
um, one three and O in four games against them. And he has a 916 save percentage, even though the GAA is over three. And then against Winnipeg, interesting stat line. He's two, three, and oh in five games, so below 500 record. However, he has a 2.03 GAA and a 931 save percentage against Connor Hellbuck's Jets. So against Winnipeg, doesn't have the record that he does against Ottawa, but yeah. he's been especially dominant, and the Canucks just for whatever reason can't seem to score against Winnipeg. So um, that explains it. Uh, the hockey guy who we follow on this channel specifically mentioned why this is so important for the Canucks, because as you know, Brett, they've been around not as long as the Bruins, but they've been around for a long, long time, half a century plus. And their draft record with goalies isn't as promising as you think. I know they drafted a former 67s goalie lane, uh, named Lukas Mensator, who was pretty good for sevens for a few years. Um, actually went to the OHL finals once or twice with them. Um, didn't really pan out. And there have been some other goaltenders over the many years that didn't pan out. Probably longer than the list of goalies that actually played NHL games for Vancouver and got a fair sample size with the Canucks. And out of those guys that really made it big for them, the only Canuck-born draft pick that probably really stood out in the eyes of many was Corey Schneider. Yeah. And they traded to the Devils for a pick that turned into Bo Horvat, which looks pretty good. But back then, a lot of people were stunned. They thought Corey Schneider should have been the goalie of the future, and then they traded him. Right. Like, guys like Kirk McLean, they got from New Jersey. Roberto Luongo, they got from Florida. A lot of the guys that really became household names in Vancouver, when you think of Canucks goalies... They were acquired via trade. They weren't Canuck-drafted prospects that a lot of the fans knew from day one. Thatcher Demko is a rare breed in this 50-plus year history where he's drafted by the Canucks, gets his big break with the Canucks, gets paid to be the Canucks' supposed long-term goalie of the future. So th this is something that's 50-plus years in the making, which... I think it's kind of sad if you're Vancouver you're right. because I, I would think at least you would have one of those guys by now. Um, but I, I definitely think in the grand scheme of things that Thatcher Demko can be a Connor Halibut type of goalie in this league. And the only way to find out is to like really put a, a bigger sample size in front of him. And I think to this point, this is the closest to a biggest sample size we have, but I think they got enough of a trust with Thatcher Demko when Brayden Holpe wasn't playing well. They kept playing Thatcher Demko in games. They kept getting results. And this month of March, I think, really solidified his future as the Canucks goaltender. Jim Benning was very wise to be proactive and get that contract done, um, knowing that you have two big RFA signings this past the, the this coming offseason rather that need to be top priority. The last thing you want is to put that Jodemko situation on the back burner and then have to deal with that later. So I think it was yep. very good of a proactive move for Vancouver to get this done. I think Thatcher Demko could be their franchise goaltender. Um, he just needs to be given the opportunities. And I, I don't think he's gonna disappoint. Yeah, it's interesting too. Um, yeah, that's a good point about like there hasn't been like a drafted Vancouver goalie um, 
in their history. I guess, like, you know, you when you think of a Vancouver goalie, you think of Roberto Luongo, but he wasn't drafted by the Canucks. He was, you know, he was a uh, Florida Panther draft pick um, and, and eventually did go there after uh, his Canucks stint. Again, um, the other thing you have to consider is the fact that he um, is the Canucks also have Michael DiPietro, um, which I know you're a fan of, but um, but maybe eventually they like if DiPietro is um, proves to be some like you know a decent goalie um, in the NHL, then maybe we'll see like a one A one B type situation or something like that in the future. Um, but yeah, so that's. That's an interesting part too. Is like I think Demko will be the guy for them, but um, it's you never really know with goalies because they could be the next Andrew Raycroft. For every Connor Hellebuck's, there's uh, Andrew Raycroft or uh, or something like that. And and you know when you look at like what uh, Carter Hart is doing this year, where it seems like he's slipping, and I know you you still believe in him, and I I do from some extent, but. But I think there is like a danger in like um, when a when a goalie is struggling, then your whole team is struggling, um, and I think there is that aspect of it where you're wondering, well, what what to do? <laughs> um, so, so I think that's um, that's that's the danger there. Is like if if Demko is the guy, then he's the guy. But if he's not the guy, then you know the Canucks are wasting. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes' prime years, um, and that's going to be unfortunate. The the other thing I think that's important to know with Thatcher Demko and Carter Hart, and even Jordan Bennington, for example. Yep. Jordan Bennington entered the league, got real hot, the Blues rode with him, and they haven't stopped. Right. Same with Carter Hart. He entered the league, the Flyers have rolled with him. Thatcher Demko was playing behind Jacob Markstrom for a few years and got to learn behind Jacob Markstrom. Similar to Connor Hellebuck, he got to learn a little bit with the Winnipeg Jets before he really solidified himself as the team's number one goalie. So I think if Thatcher Demko is as learned enough and he's ready, I don't think we're going to see that type of an adjustment period. I think obviously he's going to struggle. Every goalie does, but I think he'll be able to get out of it quicker. Um, the question with Thatcher Demko is what defense is he going to be playing in front of? Right. Um, that's the question. Cause I think Philly's defense is better than Vancouver's and St. Louis's defense is better than Vancouver's. So in terms of the team that's playing in front of that's up to Jim Benning, not Thatcher Demko. If Thatcher Demko does his job, um, I think he's fine. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I guess it will all lead to uh, what Jim Benning feels like is necessary, but um, and at the same time, I guess I'm, as I feel like I'm the, like the reluctant person of this, of this duo here where I'm like, you know, I'm still, I'm still a little wary, but, um, he has looked good this season. I'll, I'll give you that, but I, I'm still like, I don't know if it's like, if he has to do it again next year, he has to do it again. And, you know, the year after that. So that, that's where I'm more worried about. Cause there is always that concern, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, that, oh, oh, right. There's one more question that we have to answer, but I think we've, we've already done that. Um, the main one is that, right. So Elias Pettersson and, uh, Quinn Hughes are going to 
be free agents in um, uh, next this year. Um, or sorry, this year they're they're gonna be free agents. Yeah, after after this season ends, whenever yeah, it ends, they'll be free agents. They'll be, our, they'll be restricted RFAs. free agents. Yes, um, and they're both you know since they're both the best players on the team, they're they're due for a raise. Um, so, so yeah, the, I guess the question becomes, like, how is that going to, like, how does this deal affect the rest of the, um, you know, those deal? How does this Demco extension affect the rest of the, um, you know, the Quinn Hughes and the other, you know, EP as well? Um, and yeah, like I said, I think it's it's. I think it's good to have him locked up for five million because then, eventually, you can like you know lock Quinn Hughes for a long time or and and Pedersen for a long time too. Um, of course, they're gonna be um, a lot cheaper, uh, or I'm uh, sorry, a lot more expensive. So that there's that to think about. The other thing that's interesting too is like like Quinn Hughes and e- Pedersen, um, Brandon Sutter, Jimmy VC. Uh, Jace Hallrook, Mark Michaelis, Travis Boyd, Alex Edler, uh, Jordy Ben, Travis Hamanick, and Jalen Chatfield are all UFAs or RFAs. Tanner Pearson's another one. Um, and um, and so that's that's also something to consider where eventually oh and Adam Gadet is another one too. Um, so so they're like all like they're gonna have a lot of money to deal with. Um, so that first they're going to have to address the Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. And then eventually I would imagine they're going to have to get a lot of different players now. And um, I believe preliminary yeah. talks with both have already started. So yeah. they're, they're already starting to open up those talks. A bit. True. So, so I guess that is something to consider. Um, but um, yeah, I guess the question here is, uh, can they make it work? I would imagine they will, just because of what I just said. But um, I I would be shocked if they like <laughs> trade any of them, unless it's like a Dougie Hamilton situation, which I don't think it is. But um, yeah, then I I think they're gonna make it work. But um, I guess the question is is how are they gonna build around those three players? Um, and that's yet to be seen. Yeah, I don't know how big fans uh, Peterson and Hughes are museums like Dougie Hamilton. So. <laughs> right. Well, then uh, I, 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 don't know how many, no, I don't know how many museum trips they have planned. I was mostly talking about, uh, I was not talking about the time when he goes to Calgary. I was talking about the time when he was in Boston where apparently he just didn't like the Bruins. Oh, yes. Um, yes, yes so that that's what I was referring to. So if unless Peterson or Hughes don't like Vancouver... Which, um, which since Pedersen is the captain, I, I, I don't think he hates Vancouver. Um, and Quinn Hughes, I would imagine, liked Vancouver as well. But um, So unless, unless there's something, like, you know, seriously gone, I feel like they, they will be signed. It's a question of, like, how much they're going to make. Um, and then, then the question for Jim Benning and the rest of, you know, the Aquilini's, I think that's how you pronounce their last name. Um, yeah, Aquilini. Um, how they're going to like you know build around those two players um, because those are franchise players and they only come once in a blue moon. I mean, they just they were just lucky that they got them in two consecutive draft years. But um, so 
and also Brock Besser the year before that too. So, um, so yeah, that's the that's the part where we have to like, it's yet to be seen of like how, um, how the Canucks are gonna build around those two players. And this is where Jim Penning's previous contracts come back to haunt him. Uh, this is what happens when it's time to pay your star right. players and you've already committed dollars to Jay Beagle, to Antoine Roussel, yeah, and point. to Louis Erickson. And maybe one million or two million too many to Tyler Myers. Yep. And maybe one or two years too many. <laughs> yeah. um, regardless of that, this is where death signings become very, very critical in, in the long term. Yep. And I think that's going to be Jim Benning's problem to deal with. I think the wise thing for Vancouver to do is to give seven or eight year extensions or even five to six year extensions to Peterson and Hughes to eat up as much of their UFA eligibility years as they can. So they can really solidify that core of, okay, yeah, we're going to be paying these guys, but we don't have to worry about paying them for the next five, six, seven, whatever years. We focus on them as their core and build off of it from there. And I think it's the worst thing they can do is go for a two-year or three-year bridge deal because I feel like they're going to make even more money when that's up because their upside is so good because of what they've already done at the NHL level. Like, I love Brock Besser. Don't get me wrong. Brock Besser is a great goal scorer. Seems like a good guy from what I've seen. But the amount of vision that Peterson and Hughes have showcased, like, there aren't too many players around the league like that. You can't afford to sacrifice that for the sake of money and dollars in turn. So they're going to find a way to get it done. For Jim Benning's sake, they better. Um, and I think the bottom six depth is going to have to be put into question, not just depending UFAs and RFAs and who they're going to keep, but also the Erickson situation. I don't think if, if any team takes them, that's going to be, that's going to be exhibit a for buyouts in the off season. And, um, then, then you have to look at Beagle and Roussel and what other guys offer and whether or not, um, Beagle and Roussel have a plan with the Canucks moving forward because you, you need to find a way to to find enough money for for Hughes and Peterson. And I think the Demco one is a bargain just because of what they could get. Yep. And now now it now it just allows them to focus more on the Peterson and Hughes stuff and and just going from there. Um, but I I don't expect before the trade deadline those signings will be announced. I think probably you wait till the off season ends and then the players uh, go from there but it's it's nice that they're obviously opening up those talks now just so both sides have a good idea of where they stand going into the next part of the season because i think that is important yeah i um yeah that's a good point um and and i think yeah you're right it's like if this demco signing does help the Canucks in the long run because Quinn Hughes and Pedersen are going to be um, paid a lot and and we'll see how um, Jim Benning handles it and you also bring up a good point too in that both Pedersen and Hughes are more playmaking types and you know Brock Besser is good he's a great goal scorer but they need more of those guys, kind of guys um, mm-hmm. and um, guys who can score and because um, like you could have a lot of guys who can pass you the puck, but if you're not shooting and scoring, you're not gonna 
be a good team. So, so that's the that's the part where they need to focus on now is just getting more snipers for for both those guys, um, in the future. Um, all right, that's about it for us here. Um, our Twitter is Lace and Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our, um, yeah, we're on Spotify and iTunes at Lace Them Lace Them Up. On um, you know, just subscribe there and, and listen to us there. Um, oh, and SoundCloud too. Um, and that's about it. I'm Brett Debuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 264 of the Lace Them Up podcast.